This is What the Puck, Family's Midsummer Night's Dream podcast. Family has been Denver's premier disability affirmative company for 34 years. My name is Graham Bryant. I'm an actor in the production, playing the role of Demetrius, and I'll be talking to the creative, brilliant, and unique minds that make this show possible. Today I have with me Ben Renan, Family's artistic director. Ben, could you please share some of your background and involvement in theater? Hi, Graham Bryant. Uh, my name is Ben Ranan. I'm the artistic director here at Family Theater Company. I think going on two and a half years now, I think. Mm-hmm. It, it subsequently feels like I've been here two and a half days and also 20 and a half years, both at the same time. <laughs> I am a disabled director uh, whose work specializes in artistically rigorous theater with, for, and about those with disabilities. I have been a theater maker for basically all my life, ever since my dad took me to see Joseph in the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat with Donny Osmond. Uh, There was one very dark year where I became a teacher, which I quickly, quickly jumped out of. Um, But since then, uh, I've been directing here in Denver, as well as Cincinnati, Milwaukee, Chicago, uh, Des Moines, Iowa kind of around the Midwest circuit. Fantastic. Uh, So this is a question I have been asking everybody who's come on to the show. Can you sum up the themes of Midsummer in one sentence? The themes of Midsummer in one sentence are structure sucks, (laughs) but magic can happen in the forest. Fantastic. So this is Family's first fully produced Shakespeare play in its 34-year history. Why did Family decide to do a Shakespeare play now? Well, I think there's a multitude of reasons. Um, I am very connected with a theater company in London called Flute Theater uh, that does some work called The Hunter Heartbeat. Uh, I was never a Shakespeare guy. I'd never had really any interest in directing it. I appreciated it as an audience member. Uh, And then I got involved with this company, and this company works with people with autism and Shakespeare and combines the two into, I think, one of the most magical experiences I've ever been a part of. And so I got connected with them about eight, nine years ago, and from there have constantly been surprised with just how important Shakespeare's themes are to the disability community. And so, for me, Shakespeare is absolutely connected with us. I, I like to look at myself as well as a, a militant disabled person. That's mm. a, a focus of mine. And it's important to me that whenever someone thinks family can't do something, that's the exact thing I want to do. Regardless of whether we're doing kind of the silliest musical of all time or something with like very heightened text, as I'm selecting play I'm always looking for a moment or a theme or a whole a whole world that has typically been inaccessible for people with disabilities and I want to present that and so for Shakespeare you know it is considered the creme de la creme of the English language you know it doesn't matter what upbringing you have had you have probably had some interaction with Shakespeare, whether you saw 10 Things I Hate About You, whether you've seen a movie, whether you've gone and and had to do some stupid little English project that you hated, 
And so when people think of Shakespeare, they think of the top of the top. And uh, I fully believe the actors here at Family Theater Company are the creme de la creme. So it's a match made in heaven, you know, and it, it it's something that I wish we had done before, but I'm so excited we're doing now. Absolutely. And so am I. You kind of already touched into it in your last answer, but I was wondering what you saw as the link between disability and Shakespeare. You mentioned that somewhat with your work with the Hunter Heartbeat Method, but if you wanted to expand on that a little bit. Yeah, I think what Shakespeare is really great at is taking these kind of very basic themes and really getting to the core of emotion, what it means to be a human. Uh, We say this in Hunter Heartbeat all the time that the iambic for Kelly Hunter, who made it, is a heartbeat. It's five beats, ba-bum, 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 which sounds very much like a heartbeat. And the heartbeat is the barometer of human emotion to me. If a huge grizzly bear were to walk through this doorgram, I would act very tough because, as we know, I'm incredibly tough. But in my my heart, it would be thumping, ba-bum, 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 ba-bum going faster and faster. If the most beautiful person in the world walked in here, my heart would slow. The heartbeat and the iambic, for me, gives a true feeling of what it means to be alive. Your heartbeat does not lie. You cannot do it. One of the first things that they try to do when working with secret service agents is have a secret agent, a secret service agent be able to control their heartbeat calm their heartbeat because that is the gauge of what it means to be uh, alive and to control. And so for me, at its core, Shakespeare has always been about the human condition, which when it comes to disability is very, very fascinating to me. What it means for a disabled person to live in a world that has not been systematically built for them. And so really exciting work comes from the mixture of Shakespeare and uh, disability as a whole. That being said, Shakespeare also was one of the first writers, I think, to really write very interesting, nuanced characters who were disabled. And not just Richard, you know, they're, they're all over the place. And so I think there's something really palpable about Shakespeare. The other thing I'll say is, you know, the four most used words in Shakespeare besides, you know, thy and thou and I and all those are eyes, mind, reason, and love. Those are the four most prominent words. And for me, that is the basis of the human condition. Eyes, what we see in front of us, our mind, how we move with the world, reason, how we take that what we see and what we think and use it in a way that works with the world and love how we love the world. And for me, those are four things that have kind of traditionally been stripped away from the disabled community. And because of that, I think there's a really strong connection for people with disabilities rediscovering those four words, eyes, mind, reason, and love in their work and in Shakespeare. That was a fantastic answer. And I'm not surprised at all. For our listeners, we've kind of been talking conversationally about the Hunter Heartbeat Method. I was wondering if you wanted to expand on that a little bit to give some context for people who might never have heard about that before. Sure. So Kelly Hunter is 
an incredible theatrical artist in this world, um, known worldwide. She was a top actor and director at the Globe Theatre, Shakespeare's Theatre in London, and she was performing in all these shows, and she just wasn't really happy with it, right? Like, it was this thing where she was like, I'm just performing for all these, like, people, and there's no heart to it. Like, I'm losing the heart in it. There's a longer story that we'll save for the next pod, but she ended up creating a methodology of working with people with autism specifically and creating a show with them. What she does is she takes each scene in a play. The first one, I believe, was... I think it was actually Midsummer. She'll take each scene, she will digest it and and put it into one sentence. What is one line that encapsulates the plot of the scene, but more importantly, the inner workings of the scene, if that makes sense. So the one I, I love to go to is In the Tempest. There's a whole scene between Caliban the monster and Prospero, uh, the wizard who has stolen Caliban's uh, island. And in this whole, whole scene, there's one point where Prospero points to Caliban and says, I will rack thee with cramps. And Caliban responds with, This island is mine by Sycorax, my mother, which you stole from me. And for me, this entire 10, 20 minute scene can be summed up in those words. You have this guy who is this authority figure because he said he was like he stole the island and then he said now i rule it worship me as your king and he goes and he says cramps and just inflicts pain on this lower subject by his definition lower subject and the quote-unquote lower subject fighting back and saying no you stole from me which for me explains a lot of how we work with people with disabilities constantly it's like the educational system, at least in America, is great. You come in, a bunch of teachers are going to give you rules and sort of take away your ability to free think in in the education system. I mentioned earlier, I spent one year in special ed before I immediately was like, ah, this is not for me. So she takes this line, she finds this thing, and then she creates a game. Uh, And it's usually a very simple game. It's a game that's a lot of fun, very energetic, and can really be differentiated for whoever. You're in a wheelchair? Fantastic. You have very high-impact autism? Amazing. You have Down syndrome? Cool. You uh, are a paraplegic? No problem. And so she takes this game and she creates it. She then strings all the games together, one from each scene, into a full story. She throws a couple lines to kind of give context as to what it means. And then she hires the most best actors in the world. I mean, I'm not talking, you know, people who have never done this before. I'm not talking people who are just like, oh, I want to do some drama. I'm talking like the creme de la creme of actors. I said creme de la creme like five times in this pod. And we love it. I I don't use that phrase ever, Graham. I want you to know. You're, You're making me nervous over here. Anyways, she puts it all together, and then these 10 actors perform these games. But they don't just perform them with themselves. They bring in usually about 10 people with autism, people that have been traditionally excluded from the theater. And and autism of all shapes and varieties, you know, even more than we typically work with here in family in terms of 
impact of autism and the actors play the games with the students and it's a I, I always struggle at this part how to describe it it's like a performance with 10 members of the audience but for them but also about them it's the most fascinating thing that I'm I'm terribly butchering Graham how to do it I highly recommend everyone check out flute theater Company's uh YouTube page which shows I think they have something like 500 videos or something, Graham, about how to do this thing. And when I discovered it about, I think it was eight, nine years ago. I don't know. I'm bad with numbers. Yeah. It was the most palpable, visceral thing I had ever seen in a theater company. It was something that actually got to the heart of what we do. And more importantly, not just what we do, but the thing we say we want to do. Right. And I look at Kelly, who's a, dear, 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 dear friend of mine and say, wow, all of these things that these huge theater makers, we read these texts in grad school, right? They say they want to do, you did it. And I, and ever since then, I, it's, I'm over talking right now, but it's great. When I first saw this, I went to Kelly and I said, Kelly, in five years, I'm going to email you and we're going to have the biggest Hunter Heartbeat program in the United States. And it was so impactful and so important to me I didn't actually email her in five years I emailed her in two years because by that point we were working with I think 120 students a week all free because so many people and so many investors I would just invite them to come see hey spend 15 minutes with me and as soon as they did they realized this was this is what we actually want to do in theater this is where I want to invest my time my money and the need of it was so great that once I convinced one school to let me come in and try this little thing out, it spread like wild wildfire throughout Cincinnati. It was all over the place. It's so cool to hear you talk about that. And I can definitely link in the description to this episode great. that YouTube page of Flute Theater. Yes. If you try if you spend ten minutes, you'll actually probably spend two hours. Oh my god. That's so awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So going back to the production that we're currently working on right now, mm-hmm. why do you think A Midsummer Night's Dream specifically is appropriate for families' debut into Shakespeare? And also, what would you want to see next? Because magic, Graham. Midsummer Night's Dream is the most magical of Shakespeare's plays. It is the one for me that has the least amount of rules. You know, we go into this forest and anything can happen. Oberon can look like whatever because Oberon is a fairy. Titania, Puck, they they can have any sort of disability. They can be any race, any gender because they're fairies. It's not based in, you know, our normal day to day lives. It's the the meeting of the traditional kind of, you know, four lovers who are very kind of realistic. We are dealing with real world problems, meeting magic in the woods where anything can happen. And for me, that's what family is. That's what I hope that people come to when they see family, that we are taking these things that we thought were so rigid, right? These rules of, hey, a lover has to look like this. A father has to look like this. We're messing with them, right? And we're saying, no, it can be whatever it is meant to be. And so that's what drew me to Midsummer. I mean, there's also the fact it is Midsummer's is 
Shakespeare's probably most accessible play. It's one that a lot of people know. The language uh, is heightened, but not too heightened, I would say, and is a really good introduction. I never had thought about it before, but you're absolutely right in that in this production, working with Shelley and with this entire cast, we really have been able to kind of interpret the text in different ways and make them fit to the actor and to the dynamic and the story that we've been wanting to tell with the text. Yeah, that's kind of been, uh, I think, my main note to Shelley throughout this process. You know, Shelley Gaza, director, is incredible and the stuff that i thought was going to take months and months and months to work on shelly is so smart and such a great director that she was able to get that work done in like i don't know like two weeks Mm -hmm. which is great that makes the rest of the process gravy and and kind of my note i'm I'm very jewish graham Mm -hmm. and uh i i said to shelly one time i'm like you know in judaism on passover we have this saying of why is this night different than all other nights we constantly are asking that question on Passover. And the note I've been giving to Shelley is like, how is this production different from all other productions? And so I've really been encouraging the team to lean into anything can happen. Anything can happen in this production, which is, I think, you know, there were, I think, like five or six productions of Midsummer in Denver last year. And to the point where I went to my team and I was like, well, you know, there's five or six, should we should we pivot? We could do an As You Like It. We could do a Much Ado. You know, we could go the darker route, which then, you know, I would direct because all I do is dark theater. <laughs> I hire out our comedies and then I direct the dark stuff. But I can't remember. Some member of my team was like, well, Ben, yeah, there were six productions, but none of them were doing it like family was doing it. And I was like, you're right. And here we are and, and watching. We just had our first run through yesterday and it went amazingly. Uh, better than a first run has any right to be. And I went, oh, right. This is not like any other production of Midsummer that's ever, I think, happened. And you, you've you kind of already touched on it. And I don't want you to necessarily have to give anything away if you're thinking of something. But what would you want to see next from a family Shakespeare production? I want to do the canon, Graham. Let's just, yeah, like why we are so used to thinking small. Let's think huge, yeah? Mm -hmm. Um, I want to do it all. My favorite has always been Macbeth. Uh, Mm -hmm. I adapted a production of Macbeth. I was running a company called uh, Spectrum Shakes in Chicago during the pandemic. And we adapted Macbeth in the style of Kelly Hunter's Flute Theater and kind of in collaboration with her, mm-hmm. which I think was the first time a non-comedy has been adapted into Hunter Heartbeat Method. It depends if you consider Tempest a comedy or not. I love Macbeth. I love the story of Macbeth. I love the idea that fighting against a fate in a society that has been predetermined to you um, is really, really vital to me. I would also love, and I don't know if this is at Family or if this is a co-pro or if this is just Ben doing something with a different company. I've always wanted to do a reverse Shakespeare and a reverse Richard III, which is Richard is played by an able-bodied actor and then all the other folks, Richard, for those who don't know, is a traditionally disabled character. Not traditionally, he is a disabled character. Mm -hmm. I would cast Richard as able-bodied and then cast all the other folks in the play as disabled. And it's this idea that 
the only reason Richard is disabled in this community is because he is able-bodied. And this kind of message of, you know, it's society that creates disability. You know, we, the only reason why someone in a wheelchair is disabled is because we have built a society that is reliant on stairs rather than ramps. If we had just changed it and made ramps Mm -hmm. instead of stairs, it wouldn't be a big deal. You know, it's the reason why both of us right now are wearing glasses and it's, we don't consider that part of our disability because it's a palatable disability within our society versus I have Tourette's syndrome, I have Down syndrome, I have cerebral palsy, stuff like that. And so I've always wanted to do reverse Shakespeare. And then uh, for selfish reasons, I want to direct As You Like It because it's my favorite Shakespeare. Mine's Much Ado. and I've... I hate Much Ado. Really? And, the, and I'm weird, Graham, because everybody loves Much Ado. And I don't get it. Mm-hmm. I, I I try. It, I would in fact say it is my least favorite Shakespeare, <gasps> including like Coriolanus, including all the problem plays. My heart. I, I know, Graham. And the thing is, I know I'm wrong about this because Everybody looks at me with shock and disdain. I, I, Graham, don't let me lose my job over this podcast because I said <laughs> Much Ado is my least favorite. No, no, no. I can relate. There are tons <laughs> of things where I also know I'm wrong because it's this well-loved thing that everybody right. else jumped on board for, but I just can't. Bringing it back to A Midsummer Night's Dream... I wanted to ask which aspect of this production, since we've come so far to opening night now, which aspect are you most excited for audiences to experience? The smiles. Shelly had said, you know, we were, I was interviewing Shelly and she said, hey, is there like a specific style you want? Is there a specific time period? And I had said, no, um, I really want to give you artistic freedom Uh, I just want it to be a party. That's the only thing I want is a party. And I had a realization yesterday that uh, we failed at that. It's not a party. But I think actually something better has happened that Shelley has directed this beautifully warm production, um, which makes the most sense because Shelley is the most warm person I've ever met. And it's just filled with smiles and calmness and acceptance. Like, I love the idea of the mechanicals in our production that are traditionally played as, like, really dumb, Mm -hmm. slapstick, stupid, even to the point where, like, some productions in the past have just made them a bunch of people with intellectual disabilities. Um, Yeah, right. For those who can't see us, Graham just made a oh-my-god face. I I just went pretty hard. That's the word for it. But it's indicative of Shelley's direction that in our production, the mechanicals aren't dumb. They're these lovely people who are just trying to explore something that they really really love and are they a bit naive probably but they're sweet the play within a play is not kind of guffaw out loud funny like a lot of productions it's very much this like oh look at these lovely people trying so hard and actually to your credit graham as demetrius you know the interactions between demetrius lysander and theseus which traditionally are very kind of we're making fun of these people and we're talking crap about Mm -hmm. them it's actually like feels like the three of you are kind of in on the joke with them and are just kind of cheering them on and rooting for them and being like you know what 
we are going to see this play. And you know what? If it takes 15 minutes out of our day, it's going to take 15 minutes out of our day. But look how look how happy these folks are. It's been fun watching the dumb show happen. And I sit next to the actress that plays Helena and we decide which parts of the show that our characters resonate with and which parts they kind of tune out from sure. throughout. But they do see some inspiration and course aspiration from the characters as it continues on and you're right it's an absolutely joyful moment in the show yeah so i guess to to answer your original question which surprise surprise i've deviated from because i'm me autism um i'm just really excited for how kind this production is it feels like a very kind production of midsummer night's dream which i love and i i told shelly i was like you know I think you need to tell your actors they're probably not going to get a lot of guffaws because that's not the production you all have built. You're going to get a lot of people giggling and smiling the whole t- two hours. And so for me, that's what you're coming if you come to see Midsummer at Family Theater Company. You're going to be smiling for two hours, which, you know, I think we could use, Graham, <laughs> this time. No, I, um, I really love that answer. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. And Ben... Thank you so much for joining me today. I want to remind our listeners that A Midsummer Night's Dream will be playing at the Kilstrom Theater at the Denver Center for the Performing Arts from August 17th to September 2nd. For accommodations and ticketing info, you can visit family.org. That's P-H-A-M-A-L-Y dot O-R-G. We hope you join us in the merriment and festivities. And with that, goodbye. Thank you, thank you. Thank you.